Thank you, choir, orchestra, congregation. You did well. We all have to deal with information that is not exactly true or somewhat exaggerated. For instance, there are commercials that say if you take this product, you will look 10 years younger. Maybe it didn't turn out that way. Or if you take this pill, you're going to lose 30 pounds this month. And obviously that didn't work. Or if you invest $1,000 in this stock, you're going to be a millionaire before you're 30 years old. So there's always been fake news that we have to deal with. Advertisements that are not exactly correct. In order to respond to that, we have developed cliches or principles that we use to deal with it. For instance, if something sounds too good to be true, probably is. I remember once that Linda told me she was looking on the internet. She came in and said, I have just ordered a hundred towels for $5. And I said, really? She said, I normally pay that much for one, but I'm getting a hundred towels for $5. So she eagerly awaited the mail to come, and sure enough, one day the mail came. There was a box that was about like this. She opened it up, and there were a hundred paper towels in that little box. Things are not always as they seem. If it sounds too good to be true, probably is. Don't trust what everyone says. Don't believe everything you hear. As President Reagan said, trust but verify. Don't be deceived by the same scam twice. As has been said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Today we're going to look to me as a fascinating passage of Scripture it is the story about the deception of Joshua and the people of Israel. Now, when they were conquering the land of Canaan, they were told that they were to drive out all the inhabitants. But there were some, the Gibeonites, who pretended to be from somewhere else in order to receive mercy and protection from the Israelites. Thus, they deceived them. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 9, and we'll read the story beginning in verse number 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended and worn out and patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes on themselves and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. 
For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion king of Heshbon and to Og king of Bashan who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants now, then make a covenant with us. This our bread was warm when we took it for our provision out of our houses on the day that we come to you. But now behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. And these wineskins which we filled were new and behold, they are torn. And these our clothes and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. There are some things for us to learn in this story, this fascinating story. The first is when we fail to listen to the spiritual, we are easily deceived by the physical. Now that's what you see here with Joshua and the people of Israel. They were deceived by what was said. Look at verse number 6. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Ladies and gentlemen, if we fail to listen to the voice of God, then we listen to the voice of man. And Israel was particularly vulnerable to this at this time. Why? Because they had not listened to the voice of God. Look at verse 14. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. They're not looking to God, therefore they are vulnerable to the words of man. They are vulnerable to the deceit of man because they did not listen to the word of God. Not only that, but they were living under a threat. If you look at verse number 1 of chapter 9, came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and the lowland and on all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite heard of it, they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. So they're living under the threat of war. Folks, anytime we live in fear, we are vulnerable. We're vulnerable to a bad decision anytime we are living in fear. And as I look at Israel at this time, they are not seeking counsel from the Lord and they are living in fear. The Gibeonites came with half-truths which deceived Joshua. They said they feared the Lord in verse number 9. And they said to him, your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt. So they seem to be reverent towards the God of Israel. They seem to be reverent to embrace him. They promised to be submissive in verse number 11. 
So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. So these are not opponents to the Hebrews. They are going to be servants to the Hebrews. And then they presented false evidence to support their claim. Look at verse number 12. This our bread was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. When we came, when we started this journey, our bread was fresh. We just took it out of the oven. Look at it now. It is old. It is crumbled. Look like that they were telling the truth. Verse number 13. And these wineskins which we fill with new and behold they are torn. Look at the wineskins. They they look old, look like they've come from a distance. He continues, verse 13, These our clothes and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So all the evidence looked like they were telling the truth. The bread was old and crumbled. Their shoes were old and worn out. The wineskins were old and worn out. Everything looked right. So Joshua and the Hebrews were deceived. These people, the Gibeonites, actually only lived 18 miles away. Folks, if you're not listening to the voice of God, you will be deceived by what people say. I wonder how many have gotten married, not because God led them to marry that person, but because someone said, you two were made for each other. Maybe you are, maybe you're not, but you got married anyway. I wonder how many of us chose a career that we really don't enjoy because someone told us that we were made for that job. When I was in Oklahoma, Bill Banowski was a friend of mine, president of the University of Oklahoma. The thing that fascinated me about him is that he had been the pastor of a very large church. And then he went into education, became the president of Pepperdine University, and then the president of Oklahoma University. He and I were having lunch one day, and I said, Bill, I don't get it. How did you go from pastoring a church to being the president of a secular university? He said, well, Wendell, when I was growing up, he said, all my family and friends kept telling me, Bill, you're going to be a preacher. And he said, so I became a preacher. He said, God never called me to it. That's just what they told me, and so that's what I did. My friend, if you're not listening to the voice of God, you'll be deceived by what others tell you. We can also be deceived by appearance. And uh, Joshua obviously was. As you look through verses 3 to, to 5, you will see there that it appeared that these people came from afar. They, they, they showed evidence. The bread was stale. The clothes were worn out. The wineskins were, were old. They appeared to come from afar. And my friend, if you're not listening to the voice of God, you can be deceived by the way things appear. There was a story in the paper back some time ago about a man who built a chair and made it look like an antique, made it look old. He put it in his attic and then after a while he began to take stuff out for a garage sale. People came by 
Sure enough, there was a man came and saw this old chair that had been up in the attic, decided that it was an antique. He took it to the museum and they declared it to be an antique when it was recently made. When he was asked about it, he said they wanted it to be old. We can be deceived by the way things look. For instance, you young people, I, I love the students in our church. They're the absolute best. Now, you're going to choose a mate one day, and you can be deceived. When I was young, I used to go see my grandmother, sweetest woman I ever knew. But she'd always talk with me, and eventually she'd come to the place, Wendell, do you have a girlfriend? Yes? Well, tell me about her. She is pretty. She'd say, Wendell, beauty is only skin deep. And I would always respond, I know that, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. <laughs> you can be deceived by someone's appearance. Samson was. Samson was terrible at that. In Judges chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Samson said, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife, get her for me for she looks good to me. Now there's not anything wrong with, with having a, a pretty wife or a handsome husband, but that must not be the only criteria. It must not be the only criteria when you're looking for a mate. We can be fooled by appearances when an advertisement looks good. Now I told you about Linda's towels. I, be fair, I have to tell you about my boat. I saw an article advertising a boat for $89. I thought, I can, I can buy a boat for $89, and I did. I sent the money, bought a boat, and eagerly awaited for the boat to come. Came in a box. It was a blow-up boat. You could put it in your swimming pool very easily, have, have all kinds of room for it. I paid $89 for a blow-up boat because the advertisement looked good. The folks, truth is you can also be deceived by appearance when looking for a church home. You see, a church may appeal to your physical senses and yet not have any spiritual power or spiritual depth. And that is the reason I believe today that we are making customers very few disciples. We can be deceived by the way things look and by what people say. But if we are spending time closely to the Holy Spirit, He will warn us when we are about to make a bad decision. Look at verse number 7. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? You see, the Holy Spirit placed a check in their hearts. Uh, I mean, everything looked like they had come from a distance, but there was a check in their hearts. How do we know that you come from a far country? The Holy Spirit places a check. Let me say to you, if you are a believer seeking God's will for your life and you're about to make a bad decision, I believe that the Holy Spirit will place a check in your heart. You young people, 
Maybe you're considering pledging to a fraternity or a sorority, but there is a check in your heart. There's something in your heart says, I really ought not do this. Then you better check again. If you're looking at someone and thinking, I, I might marry this person, but there is a hesitation in your heart, you better look again. If you're thinking about a career choice, but there's a hesitation in your heart, might be from the Holy Spirit. We're easily deceived by what is said and by appearance, and when we fail to seek the Lord, we make a costly commitment. We might make a mistake, but integrity requires us to keep our commitments. Look at verse 16. It came about at the end of three days. At the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within the land. Too soon, old, too late, smart. Isn't it amazing how quickly you spot a bad deal after you have made it? But we still have to keep it. Joshua didn't renege. You look at verse 19, all the leaders said to the whole congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord the God of Israel and now we cannot touch them. He understood two wrongs don't make a right. So he has to honor the commitment that he made. So he made the best of it. Verse 21, the leader said to them, let them live. So they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation just as the leaders had spoken to them. They said, okay, we've made a bad deal. These people are not from here. They said they wanted to be servants. We will let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water. His philosophy must have been, if life gives you a lemon, make lemonade. Folks, you're going to make some bad decisions in life and you probably won't escape the consequences or the responsibility of them. I remember years ago I was uh, looking at a car. I, I, I can't believe that I actually did this, but I, I went and, and the salesman was really good. And I talked with him. I ended up buying that car. Now, when I was driving it home, I knew I'd made a mistake. But I still had to make the payments. You see, we may learn a lesson when we make a bad decision, but that does not eliminate the consequences. And what happens when we make a decision outside God's will, it becomes Satan's point of attack. And it was with Joshua. You look over chapter 10, verse number 3, it tells about five kings who were coming against the Gibeonites. Verse number 4, come up to me and help me and let us attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the sons of Israel. So these neighboring kings now are going to attack the Gibeonites and Joshua has committed to defending them. That became the point of his attack. I'll give you another example. That woman who looked good to Samson, she became the point of attack in his life. He told a riddle to the Philistines and made a bet with them that they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't. So they went to the wife, who was a Philistine, that the parents of Samson did not want him to marry. He did anyway. They went to her and asked her to find out the answer to the riddle. 
So the Bible says in Judges 14, 17, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And it came about on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so hard, she then told the riddle to the sons of her people. You know and I know that a man can't overcome a crying woman. She cried for seven days, wept for seven days, I don't know if he just wore down or he had sympathy, what it was, but he told her the riddle. Point is, she became the attack, the point of attack in his life. When you make, when you make a decision outside God's will, it will become Satan's point of attack. You need to know that. You make a decision outside God's will, it will become Satan's point of attack in your life. Marry the wrong person, that's going to become Satan's point of attack. That's the reason the Bible says that we are not to be unequally yoked together. Listen, young people, when you marry, marry someone who loves Jesus if you love Jesus. You should marry someone who shares your love for the Lord and your love for the things of the Lord. I've also, in a practical sense, more of a practical sense, I've also noted that if you have an unscriptural attitude concerning your finances, that will become a point of attack in your spiritual life. You have an unscriptural attitude about finances, it will become the point of attack in your spiritual life. That's one of the reasons I'm so grateful for my dad who taught me about stewardship when I was a little boy. His belief was, and he was scripturally absolutely correct, his belief was everything belonged to God. None of it's mine, all belongs to God. I'm simply a steward of that that belongs to God. If that is so, his belief was, it's better to have God's blessings on the 90% than on the 100% that does not have his blessings. When we make decisions apart from God's will, it becomes Satan's point of attack. And secondly, it requires constant attention. You see, Joshua couldn't conquer Canaan because he was too busy defending the Gibeonites. Whenever we make a wrong decision, it will take more of your time than you ever imagined. You're always going to be over there trying to fix it because it just isn't right. You'll make a costly commitment. Well, how do we correct a wrong decision? What do we do? We seek God's direction just because we fail once does not mean we must continue. And Joshua didn't in chapter 10, verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. You go to chapter number 10, Joshua now seeks the Lord. In chapter 9, the Bible says that they had not sought the Lord. Chapter 10, they begin to seek the Lord. Having made a bad decision in the past should not keep you from making a good decision today. Maybe you didn't marry the right person. I know I hear that a lot. Well, that wasn't the one God chose for us. Yeah, but that's one you got. And once you get that person, then that's God's choice for you. So what you don't want to do is make a bad decision over here and then make another bad decision over there. Men, learn to love your wives. I don't care who she is. Learn to love your wife. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wife even as Christ loved the church. Love your wife. Wives respect your husband. The Bible says, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. You might have made a bad decision. I don't know. I would never say that. You might think that. You probably wouldn't say it either. I made a bad decision when I got married. Don't make another bad one by living a bad decision. Love your wife. Maybe when you look at it, you say, you know, when I was bringing my children up, I didn't teach them the things of God. I, I was not a good parent. What do you do with that? Confess it to the kids. Just tell them. See, I don't know how to do anything other than that. Just tell them. Tell your kids, you know, I, I, I wasn't good at that. I, I, didn't, I didn't teach you the things of God like I should have. So confess it and from this day pray for them. Ask the Lord's blessings upon them. Here's the reason, because God is gracious to us even in our failure. Isn't that wonderful? God is gracious to us even in our failure and our foolish mistakes. And it gave Joshua the victory over those who came against Israel and the Gibeonites. It gave him victory. Do you know he does the same thing with us? Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say everything is good. The Bible doesn't say that everything happens to us is good because it isn't. But what it does say is that God works all of these things together. All of these things together in your life for your good. That's what God does. He can go back and make up all those mistakes that you have made. Yeah, there are consequences to them. But God can take all the issues in our lives and work them together and make something good of them. Let me conclude. How do we correct the wrong decision? Well, start where you are. You can't change yesterday. Yesterday's been spent. You can't change that, so start where you are, and from this point, determine to hear and obey God's word. You're going to continue to make decisions as long as you live. You made some decisions in the past, you're going to make some today, and you're going to make some tomorrow. You will continue to make decisions, so seek God's will. What is God's will for you? Don't, don't be like the Hebrews when they fail to seek the counsel of God. Seek God's will and obey His word. What does God say you're supposed to do? You see, in a sense, this is a... This is a I guess the most recent decision for you. We're going to extend an invitation. To trust the Lord. To dedicate a new year life to the Lord. To join the church. I do not know what God's will is for you. But what I would encourage is that you do God's will. You have an opportunity to be obedient to God today. I encourage you to be obedient to him. Our Father, I pray for each person who is here, each one who worships with us by television. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to hearts, that they'll listen to you, that they'll hear your voice, that they'll be obedient to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
I'm going to ask that you stand with us, please. As we stand together, the choir is going to sing an invitation. Staff will be here at the front to receive you. I encourage you to come as you have this opportunity to be obedient to God.